0: This is Ed Cashmark, the Everyday Economist. Keep my eye on the economy every day for you. No bluster, no bias, and no bull. May 19, 2020. Two economic releases today. The first one was Redbook Retail Sales for the week of uh, May 16th. The prior week was down 7.5%. This most recent week was down 9.5%. So continued weakness in the retail space. Housing starts was the main indicator uh, released for today. In March, we saw 1.276 million housing starts at a seasonally adjusted annualized rate. The forecast for April was 968,000. Actual was 891,000. So not only lower than March, but also lower than forecast and the lowest since February 2015. Housing permits were 1.353 million in March, excuse me, 1.356 million for revised. Forecast was 1.033 million for April. Actual was 1.074 million. So not as good as March, but slightly better than expected for April. But it was the lowest since January of 2015. So certainly a, a lot of weakness in the housing market for April but hopefully this might possibly be the worst that we're going to see hopefully we'll see a little bit of improvement in May we got some good news from the housing market index yesterday which suggested that uh, the future looks a little bit brighter so let's hope that we'll see some better numbers for housing starts and permits in May now The uh, market has little changed so far at this point in the morning at 9.41 a.m. Central Standard Time, simply because uh, there hasn't really been a whole lot of news today. The main thing investors are waiting for is to see what uh, Fed Chairman Jay Powell says and what uh, Secretary of the Treasury Steve Mnuchin says. So, uh, investors are waiting on that. So that's why the market is not much change as of right now. One note I did wanted to mention is that oil is, uh, definitely showing, uh, signs of, of, a stronger economic, uh, stronger economic recovery as it's up 20% in five days. So hopefully we've seen the, the bottom in the oil market as well. There was one article that talked about, uh, the next stage of the COVID recovery, uh, this person said to expect a less global world where the u s provides tax incentives for companies to shift out of China and come back home, expect higher wage or higher wage costs mean increased investments in automation and robotics technology that's for some companies, not for all of course and and I think it has that is mentioning for uh, companies that do business overseas. And he says that e-commerce and health technology and the food supply chain all hold potential for investors. I suppose he's talking about the food supply chain because they've been beaten up so bad uh, with all the closures that uh, might be a good time to, to buy at a low price for some of those companies. And he did show a couple of rather interesting charts where this survey was for investors. In three months' time, the S&P 500 will be much higher, slightly higher, at about the same level, slightly lower, or much lower were the options. And much higher in those who expected it to be much higher in three months. In December, was about 1%. As of May, it's 2%. Slightly higher in December was 53% and May 17%. Um, Slightly lower in December 18% and May 42%. And much lower in December 3% and May 17%. So slightly lower or much lower accounts for 59% of respondents for May for the outlook for three months for the S&P 500. Now for for the next 12 months, it's quite a bit different. For December, those who thought the market would be high, much higher in 12 months was 5%. In May, it's 12%. In December, those who thought it would be slightly higher was 34%, and in May, it's 36%. So as of right now, those who think... Investors who think it's going to be much higher or slightly higher in 12 months from now accounts for 48% of all respondents. So almost 50% of all respondents think it's going to be higher on the S&P in 12 months from now. And it says, within the northern hemisphere, there will be a second big wave of COVID-19 during the autumn or winter months. Um, 20% strongly agree with that statement. 50% slightly agree, 14% neither agree nor disagree, 14% slightly disagree, and 1% strongly disagree. So, 70% of people strongly agree or slightly agree that there will be a second wave of COVID-19 during the autumn and winter months. So, on the one hand, they they expect the market is going to be higher, 48% expect the market to be higher in 12 months, You got 70% of investors saying that they are still going to, they still expect a a second big wave of COVID-19 in the autumn and winter. So there's a little bit of uh, conflicting signals on those two charts. A couple of notes from a couple of uh, items here from the Financial Times. Germany and France unite to call for a 500 billion euro EU recovery fund. The funds would be raised by the European Commission borrowing on Capital Markets, which to date has been done only on a relatively modest scale, and would be used to support EU spending rather than loans to national governments. Under the Franco-German proposal, all the money from the recovery fund would be distributed in the form of grants. In, US retail, uh, in the U.S. the scale of financial damage will be clearer this week as big retailers begin reporting earnings. Pain will be most acutely felt by mall-based clothing retailers and department store operators. Both have struggled as shoppers move online. Neiman Marcus, JCPenney, and J.Crew have all filed for bankruptcy protection. Others, including Macy's and Gap, have been stripped of investment-grade debt ratings. Among winners such as grocery stores, big box retailers, and home improvement chains, gains will be tempered by a squeeze on margins. Among traditional bricks-and-mortar retailers, Walmart and Target are best positioned to take advantage of any additional online spending. Now, I just wanted to share a few insights from the Federal Reserve of Minneapolis. They have a COVID-19 dashboard, and this is for the 9th District, which is Minnesota, Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Wisconsin. Uh, So it has some comparisons here. So Minnesota has, as of May 16th, Minnesota has the most confirmed cases at uh, at 14,969, Montana has the fewest, 468. Fatalities. Minnesota has the most, 731. Montana, the least 16. Let's see. Newly tested. Minnesota, 7,304 uh, at the most. And the least, South Dakota, 383. We're doing a lot of testing in Minnesota. Weekly initial uninsurance... Unemployment insurance claims as of May 9, Minnesota 52,557, Montana 5,072. You know what? Disregard those numbers because those are not weekly numbers, I don't believe. Um, I'm I'm not certain what those numbers are. Um, Maybe they're right, but uh, in any event, Minnesota has definitely seen more more uh, initial jobless claims than any of the other states in the region. And skip that. Change in small business change in small business employment. We have as this is compared with January numbers uh, as of five thirteen, we have Minnesota small business employment down 40%, and South Dakota only down 2%. Minneapolis is down 40%, and the U.S. is down 47% for small business employment compared to January. Minnesota auto traffic volume. Metro, as of May 16, Metro is down 20.6%. Statewide is down 21.3%. So it's down more. Can't get the numbers to come up. (laughs) Oh well, moving on. And Metro Transit uh, ridership is down 94.3% for express, for local down 59.6% and for rail down 75.4% so very big declines in metro transit ridership and TSA checkpoint travel numbers are way down from about 2 million in early March, this is for the United States, way down from uh Two million in early March down to just two hundred fifty three thousand eight hundred seven as of May, so some interesting numbers there. The initial jobless claims data i'm not sure about that, so disregard those numbers for now. but again, suffice it to say that Minnesota has seen more initial jobless claims than any other state in the five state region all right. And now, uh, the big uh, meat and potatoes of today's podcast is going to be insights from what's called the COVID Impact Survey, which is a partnership with the Minneapolis Federal Reserve Bank and the Data Foundation of Washington, D.C. on the COVID impact uh, on society. They are trying to determine how people are feeling, where they are, and what they are experiencing and when. It's an alternative to widely available testing. It's 25 questions on physical and mental health, financial security, physical and social environment, and it's a random sample survey. It will offer state and regional insights and trends on the pandemic. Recently, they had a report in April, and then they had a on April 30th, and then one on May 14th. I'll first share the April 30th uh, report results and then compare it to May 14th. So the key findings from April 30th report were the following. The American public generally reported being in good physical health, 87%, but identified high levels of perceived hopelessness, 41%, one or more days of the last week. Respondents offered a relatively negative economic outlook, with 40% indicating it is unlikely they will be employed 30 days from now. Repeat, 40% of people thought they would not be employed within one month from the day this survey was put together in April, on April 30th. So, basically, nearly half of the country thought that they were going to be out of work within a month. Very frightening thought. While households across America are generally complying with CDC recommendations, low-income households are less compliant with wearing masks, avoiding public spaces, maintaining social distancing, and rescheduling activities. Almost one-third of households responded that they were not likely at all to download a smartphone application to track locations and send notifications related to COVID symptoms. With variation by region, people are feeling hopeless, anxious, depressed, and lonely. Women at 66% are more likely to feel hopeless, anxious, depressed, or lonely than men at 54%. Under 45 people under 40, age 45 s- at 70% are more likely to feel hopeless, anxious, depressed, or lonely than people over 45, which was 53%. And it's pretty much the same across race, about 60%. Higher income, 66%, are more more likely than lower income, 60%, to feel hopeless, anxious, depressed, or lonely. So that's kind of interesting that higher income folks are more likely than lower income folks to feel more hopeless, anxious, depressed, and lonely. You wouldn't think that. But again, like I mentioned before, uh, it might be hopeless, anxious, depressed, or, you know, having some pretty negative thoughts regarding how much money they've been losing in the stock market. Um, but anyway, that's just my little intuition there. 47% reported it was very or extremely likely they would be employed in three months. So the the previous number was employed in one month. Now this is uh, how many people thought they would be employed in three months. So a little less than half thought they would be employed in three months. 17% would not be able to cover a $400 unexpected expense. 49% said they worked for pay in the past week. So about half of respondents were being paid. 9% were temporarily laid off or furloughed. That's a much, much lower number than what the uh, BLS Labor Market Survey suggested, which was about 80%. So, huh. That's Like I said, these numbers are just all over the place in terms of what they, you know, some of these labor market numbers are all over the place in terms of what they actually say about the real state of the the labor market. We're going to find out the real truth about the labor market over a period of two, three, or four months. One month is not enough to figure out what's really going on. Lower income, 17%, is less likely to uh, work from home than higher income people at 52%. So... At least three times as many people in the higher income bracket are more likely to work from home than the lower bracket. Again, you have a lot of office people who are in the higher income bracket, and they can work from home. But it's kind of hard for retail, treat, travel, leisure, hospitality, and those kinds of industries, which have lost a lot of jobs and are on the lower end of the income range, to work from home. It, you just really can't work. How how can you serve food from home? You know, so a uh, lot 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 worse. Uh, situation right now for those kinds of jobs. 28% are worried about food running out before they could buy more. Hispanics, 35% were more likely to face food insecurity than whites, 18%. So about twice as many. 78% are wearing face masks. 80% are avoiding crowds. 92% are washing their hands. I'm assuming that means washing their hands more because we're always washing our hands, aren't we? (laughs) 85% are social distancing. 70% said they would be willing to be tested if offered, so most people are willing to be tested. 50% say they are not likely to use an app on their phone to track their symptoms. Now, key findings from the May 14 report. Regional variations in compliance and lack of participation for 18- to 22-year-olds with social distancing and wearing face masks continue to suggest either mixed messaging or unwillingness to comply with CDC guidance. Policymakers and CDC could deploy additional efforts to reinforce guidance and potential benefits for the American people in taking appropriate precautions to avoid the spread of coronavirus. So let me reread one one part of that phrase. They could deploy additional efforts to reinforce guidance. Well, we'll see what what, the, what they you know come up with on that in terms of what they're going to do to make sure people comply with CDC guidance. Slight reductions in behaviors, suggest or slight reductions in behaviors such as avoiding crowds and visiting restaurants across the country, suggest growing COVID fatigue with certain restrictions in place, as well as variations in how such measures are implemented across the country. Officials could more consistently communicate expectations and policies within their jurisdictions, including those practices that may still be necessary even when existing restrictions or stay-at-home orders are lifted. Shifting views on the willingness for COVID-19 testing and participation in app-based tracking with considerable regional and demographic variations suggest that once policymakers decide on how to apply testing programs, education of the population will likely be needed to encourage participation. Education of the population. Okay, does that mean they're going to tell us what's going to be done and how it's going to be done? Or does that mean it's going to be more of a persuasive... Slash possibly propagandist indoctrinationist kind of uh, communication to people. People are worried about this, you know. People are worried if this is something that either either really needs to be done, or should be done, or can be done, or is. I don't know if it's not. I don't know if it's necessarily unconstitutional, but um, it certainly is. Something that people are worried about in terms of their privacy and their rights. So, like I said before, someone from the government comes knocking on your door and they want to test you. Are you going to comply? And if you don't comply, what are they going to do? We will see. Economic effects and in food insecurity affect some demographics and household structures more than others. Policymakers could consider those disproportionately affected in determining strategies, for example, that more effectively incurred symptomatic... Individuals to stay home from work, or to provide support for those who may fear losing their jobs if missing work because of illness. I think that it's very important right now to keep older people or people with underlying health conditions either in their homes or in the nursing homes, and to not allow, definitely don't allow visitors from for nursing homes for a while, at least until we at least get an antiviral drug or or some kind of herd immunity or a vaccine those are definitely without question by far the most vulnerable population so if we can just keep that part of society cordoned off for a while protect them save their lives and allow everybody else to go back to work and do you know what they do you know you only have about 20% of the population that is younger than 65, that has been getting this virus, or at least dying from it. The vast majority of deaths have been uh, 65 and older. So if we can have like a bifurcated economy for the time being to protect people on the one hand, and on the other hand, protect jobs and businesses, I think that would be the best way forward. Back to the survey. Households in Minnesota, 2%. Atlanta, 8%. Birmingham, 8%, and Columbus, 3%, experienced statistically significant increases of 2 to 3 percentage points in the number of people who had a family member or friend die of COVID compared to the April 30 report. So there's statistically significant increases in the number of people who are who know somebody, uh, a family member or friend, who have died of COVID compared to April 30. So Minnesota is one of the states that have had a st- statistically significant increase. Feelings of ho- feelings of hopelessness are down from 41% in April to 38% in May 14. Uh, so April 30 to May 14, it, it fell three percentage points. So that's you know some little positivity. 18% say they're furloughed or temporarily laid off, up from 9% in April. So That's closer to what the BLS said, uh, but still a lot less than the 80% that was implied by uh, what people said on their unemployment claims or in their survey responses for the household survey. 39% say it is unlikely they will be employed 30 days from now. It was 40% in April, so it really hasn't changed. Lower-income people, 17%, are less likely to work from home than higher-income people, 52%. That was in April. In May, the numbers are 19% for lower-income and 57% for higher-income, so increases in both income brackets for that measure. Despite the federal government's economic stimulus effort, Households continue to report challenges paying off $400 in unexpected expenses. 16% indicated they would not be able to pay off an unexpected $400 expense, relatively unchanged from April, which was 17%. This could suggest that federal policies aimed at reducing economic burdens for the American people either have not yet reached intended audiences or were not sufficient to meet emerging needs. Very interesting note there. Food insecurity also continues to vary across regions. For example, in Louisiana 39% worry about food security while 34% experience it, well above the national averages. In contrast, in Minnesota only 16% worried about food insecurity and 12% experienced it, well below the national averages. Both both worry and both worry about and presence of food insecurity were elevated for those without a high school diploma, 53% worry, 47% experience, with household incomes less than 30,000, and 41% uh, worrying and and experiencing. And households with children, 36% worry and 32% experience. 84% of people are wearing masks versus 78% in April. Uh, So that's kind of a noticeable increase. 75% in rural areas are wearing masks, 87% in urban. So more people in the cities than than in the uh, suburbs and the rural areas. Fewer are avoiding restaurants, 69% in May compared to 72% in April. Avoiding public or crowded places, 75% versus 80% in April. And avoiding contact with high-risk people, 59% versus 62% in April. So people are kind of opening up a little bit is what this is saying. Social distancing measures on average appear unchanged from two weeks ago, with 85% of respondents nationally indicating compliance. Substantial differences in response behaviors are evident by age groups. Elderly individuals ages 65 or older were more likely than 18 to 22-year-olds to avoid restaurants, 74% versus 60%. To postpone leisure and social activities, 67% versus 50%. Avoid public or crowded places, 81% versus 61%. Maintain social distancing, 91% versus 70%. And wipe packages, like groceries, 48% versus 29%. So in all of these categories, elderly individuals aged 65 or older were more likely to uh, engage in these kinds of measures compared to 18 to 22-year-olds. And that makes sense because they're more vulnerable to this virus, whereas Not only are young people less vulnerable, but they're, you know, they're young and they think they're invincible and nothing's going to happen to them. Which isn't true, but the data bear out that they're definitely less vulnerable. 42% are willing to use a phone app to track symptoms, down from 48% in April. That's kind of interesting because you would think uh, that as... Things, as the pandemic uh, settled in more in terms of uh, what everybody knows, that more people would be willing to use an app to track their symptoms, say, to get the economy back up and and running again. But this actually says that fewer people are willing to use a phone app to track their symptoms. So that suggests that not only tracking symptoms, but also, uh, well, let's just look here. Uh, well, it doesn't say anything about contact tracing, but it it, it suggests that there might be more aversion to contact tracing as time goes on than less. We'll see. 64% are willing to be tested for COVID-19 using a Q-tip in the cheek or nose versus 71% in April. So fewer people want to be tested using a Q-tip. 69% are willing to take blood tests to measure immunity versus 71% in April. So fewer people are willing to take a blood test higher income higher income people 81% swab 83% blood are more willing to be tested than lower income people 58% swab and 63% blood and the highest willingness uh to be tested is in baltimore columbus cleveland and minnesota so those are some very interesting insights from the COVID tracking survey, no, COVID impact survey from the Federal Reserve and the Federal Reserve and the Data Foundation of Washington D.C. So, will we, looks like they're given they're uh, reporting that data every two weeks. So early June we should get an update, and I think this is really interesting because again, it's not only talking about the economic impacts and the health impacts but also the social impacts and um you know things like food security and stuff like that too so and you know compliance with all of the regu- all of the uh the guidance so if we see fewer fewer, 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 fewer people complying with guidance that suggests that there's po- probably a higher probability of seeing a second wave uh in the autumn or winter as opposed to if people were complying more then again it may not really matter nearly as much as a lot of people believe. It just really depends on, on uh, you know, what we see in terms of what people are doing in the coming months and how that correlates with what happens with the virus. It will be very interesting to watch those numbers. Now for an update on the coronavirus. Uh, as of today, excuse me, as of yesterday... Let's see what we have here. For the world, we have a death rate of 6.55% down from 6.6% on May 17th. Death growth rate, 1.1%, about the lowest we've seen. And for the United States, death rate, 5.93%, down slightly from 5.96%. Death growth rate, 1.1%, up slightly from 1% the day before. Um, but what was very interesting is that the IHME model from the University of Washington actually reduced their forecast for how many people would die in the United States by August 4th, from 147,000 down to 143,000. That is Great news. I don't know if that's the first time that they've reduced their their forecasts, but it it might be. But it certainly is good news to hear that uh, they have reduced their death forecast rather than increased it. So that, along with Moderna's positive results for their clinical trial on their vaccine candidate, uh, we have a couple days of good news here. Now on to tip number 27 on how to stay sane during unemployment. Tip number 27 is under the third commandment of try new things. Tip number 27 is try new outdoor activities such as sports, you know, new sports like hiking or biking or kayaking or, or rowing or paddle boarding or whatever. Get out in the nature, go swimming, go biking, whatever. Uh, just... You can get out of the house right now. I don't know how many activities you can actually do, but you can certainly get out of the house and go for a walk or a run or a bike or a hike or something like that. Get out in nature. Get away from your computer. Get away from your TV. Get away from your phone. Get away from all the news and all the hubbub. Get away from all your negative feelings and just go out in nature and just enjoy it. And really take in everything around you. Notice all the beauty around you. Notice the flowers. Notice the plants and the animals and even the insects. Notice the grass and the trees and the leaves and, and the colors and the color of the sky. Hopefully it's blue when you're listening to this. Feel the warmth of the of the spring and early summer. You know, take in the smells, take in the sounds, take in the sights. Just just take it all in and enjoy it. That's what it's really all about. You know, I've learned over the years. To really just take one day at a time because that's all you can handle as it says in the bible tomorrow has its own problems worry about today um and that's what i do you know one thing i, I do every single day no matter what no matter how bad things are going i find something that i enjoy to do every day whether it be my favorite food or a food i like you know Music I like, a movie I like, doing something I like outside, reading a, a book I like, watching a video I like, whatever. Do something you enjoy every single day. For me, it can even be something as small as having an f- ice cream float bar. Seriously, in the summer, I love those things. Popsicles with ice cream in the, in the middle, can't beat it, but it tastes so good and it's just a tiny little dollop of joy. Find your tiny little dollop of joy every day and you will find that your days will be easier to deal with regardless of how bad things are going for you. Just find one little tiny dollop of joy every single day. You will be surprised at how much of a difference it makes. So again, today's tip number 27, new outdoor activities such as sports and nature. That's all I have for today. If you like what you hear, please subscribe or follow me. Spread the word. Listen to previous episodes, if you'd like, for other tips on how to stay sane during unemployment. Tomorrow, we'll be looking at mortgage applications for the previous week. Get a little bit better read on uh, what kind of demand we're seeing out there for mortgage uh, purchase applications as well as refinance applications. And, of course, I'll have some notes on some other various topics. This is Ed Cashmark, the Everyday Economist. Stay safe. Stay sane. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of your day.